Today's scripture comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise to the, of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, Suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this day, we would grow closer to you, closer in love and grace, and closer to the kingdom. Amen. Run the mile you are in. This is a running mantra that I have carried with me for a few, the last few years as I found myself getting back seriously into running, in which I have done after a number of years of an on and off relationship with it. And it embodies the biggest part of running a race, especially when you think about running longer races like marathons or, or half marathons. It can be very easy in these races to think more about what lies ahead of you than just addressing your feelings or what is happening in the place you currently are. And in fact, I wish I had this mindset when I ran my first and only marathon when I was 18 years old. I, I was in probably some of the best shape of my life as a young person, and I felt heading into the race that I was in really good shape. I felt like I could do a really good time, maybe finish in less than three and a half hours, which for a marathon is, is, is pretty good. Feeling good, I focused on what it took to get there and ignored what was actually happening along the way. Now, this was not a stop and smell the roses situation. I didn't need to run slower, but I found as, the, as I towed the starting line and as the race went on, my entire mindset was on the finish line. All I worried about was finishing the race instead of listening to what was actually going on, which was that my body was dead. It was finally at the halfway point, 13.1 miles, where I just decided it wasn't worth it anymore, and I just started walking. What was starting out as a really good race, an opportunity to really run a good time, ended just shy of five hours, which 
Respectively, finishing a marathon is a great achievement, but knowing that I had not given my best and I had completely gotten in my mind was not something that I wanted to do. It may seem weird for me to say that in a race that long, you just run one mile at a time, but it is truly that mindset in the last year that has helped me to accomplish more running goals than I ever thought possible. In fact, three years ago when I got back into running, I told my coach, I said, I just want to run 5 and 10Ks. I don't want to do anything longer. I don't really care about anything longer. And then quickly, 5 and 10Ks turned into half marathons. And who knows? Maybe one day again, I will run another marathon if my wife continues to get on me about it. But I notice now that even in the most basic of run, it is that running the mile you're in. Let me just finish this mile. How do I feel right now? I know that the goals, those larger goals that I have will come. The grand scheme is not forgotten, but it is this moment. It is these miles. It's what's going on right here and right now that I need to take attention of in order to be cared for to reach those ultimate goals. And as I read this scripture, and I read this scripture in preparation for today, this theme just jumped out at me. Run the mile you are in. In this passage, we have Jesus leaving his disciples with, with these final nuggets of information they need to carry on his ministry in his absence. This story right here, this is the transition from the gospel to the history of the church. And if we look at the beginning of Luke, so we uh, believe that Luke and Acts were written by the same person. We kind of get this understanding based off of who Luke is talking to. This Theophilus character that we see here in verse 1 is a, uh, uh, an indicator even from the Gospel of Luke. And even the way that Luke finishes, the, the Gospel of Luke finishes with this exact story that the, that the Gospel, the book of Acts begins with. And we see this transition, this transition from the gospel message, that is this message about Jesus, to this historical account of the new church. And so why is this important? Why is this transition coming in important? Because it is the lessons that the disciples are left with, right? What does this time of resurrection, this time of Easter teach us? Other than another season of preparation, right? Jesus is taking these 40 days that he is in his resurrected form on earth, and he's giving the disciples these last bits of information. And as we look at Jesus ascending to heaven, it is living into an understanding, this last nugget. It is this final interaction that Jesus has with these disciples that helps us to know and understand Truly, what is about to happen in the church, right? Next week, we're going to have Pentecost, and we're going to celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. But friends, the coming of the Holy Spirit is going to mean nothing if our minds and our hearts are not focused on what is at hand. And we see this play out in this interaction that the disciples have after Jesus has ascended. In Acts, in this, in this first chapter of Acts, verses 10 and 11, we here, the writer write, while he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from, from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. 
whenever I hear this passage, I always think to myself, and I always imagine the conversational part, right? It's the, the disciples are standing there and Jesus ascended, and, and rightfully so, like, right? It is, a, it is probably an awe-inspiring moment. And so we, we would probably be guilty of the same thing of like, man, look at that. Jesus is going up and up and up. And maybe we just linger a little bit too long. And there are these men who are there and they say, hey, what are y'all looking at, right? Because these guys are clearly from the South, right? What are y'all looking at? Don't you know that there's stuff that needs to be done down here, right? Jesus is going to come back. But right now there is work that Jesus called you to do right here on the earth. It's a fairly simple calling. But one the disciples needed to hear at the time, at least as we read this passage. It's not that they appear to be staring up at the sky watching Jesus ascend, but it is the nature that they are watching the offense of the ascension that help us to understand that rather than just observing Jesus ascending, they're longing more for what Jesus offers. They're longing more for Jesus to return rather than doing the work that Jesus called them to do. And the disciples get caught. They get lost in this classic trap, right, that we have of focusing on the end rather than doing what needs to be done in the moment. A trap that we often fall into as Christians ourselves. Even their interaction with Jesus before Jesus ascends shows us that their focus is not on where Jesus has called them to be, but rather their focus and what they think is important. Jesus is focusing their minds on the coming of the Spirit, but the coming of the Spirit means an empowerment for ministry. So when Jesus ascends, his interactions are for the disciples to get on with what's coming next, not what's coming at the end. They are going to be baptized by the Spirit. They will go out and they will do ministry. And in the absence of the physical presence of Christ, we are called to be those hands and feet. And so this interaction, this urging, is for us to stop standing around and, and waiting for Christ to return and looking up at the heavens and to go and do the ministry, go and do the work that Christ calls us to do. We get caught in this cycle of being so focused on Christ coming back that even the work that we do is solely focused on this return of Jesus. And it leads those it sometimes leads Christians to sort of project this sense of superiority over those who are not. It leads to conversations without transformation. It causes churches to be empty and hollow places. They don't, they don't do ministry. They just try and win souls. But you see, Jesus calls us to be disciples in the world for the kingdom of God. I mean, when we look at the short-sighted, the narrow-sighted understanding that disciples have coming into this conversation, their first question to Jesus before he is, their question to Jesus before he says is, Lord, is this the time when you will return the kingdom of Israel? Right? I mean, there is this sense that they want the kingdom of Israel to be what God promised it to be. But Jesus' response is to get them to focus away from this understanding of, of reign and power and to get them to focus on ministry. It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. And here it is. But you will receive power 
When the Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples know that Jesus is about to physically leave him. But they realize that the prophecy he came to fulfill, right, that restoration of the kingdom, it didn't happen like they, under, like they wanted it to happen. And so they're looking for this, this conquering hero who will restore the kingdom of Israel, who will overthrow and free them from Rome. But you see, Jesus is like, whoa, I came to restore the kingdom of God. Not in the way that people were necessarily looking for him to do so. Jesus came to restore God's kingdom and to lay the foundation for that kingdom work that we continue in our time. Because again, once, once Jesus is, is physically ascended into heaven, we become the hands and feet of Christ. Jesus gave us the tools and the understanding necessary not to look towards an earthly kingdom that will grant us some sense of liberty or freedom that we think absolves us from our responsibility to care for one another. Instead, Jesus looks out upon the disciples and reminds them that they are witnesses of who Jesus is, not just for Israel, but for the entire kingdom of God. And so without explicitly doing it, without saying, say like Matthew 28's version, here in Acts, Jesus calls his disciples to action. And then in, the, in their absence of mind, they get a real reminder that what Jesus calls them to do is to go and be witnesses to the nature of God in the world. As they watch Jesus ascend, they are call, their attention is called back to earth. And so now, if we understand that, our question is, what does it mean to be a witness? And here sometimes we may get bogged down in thinking that a witness is all about speech. And I will invite you to consider the nature of a living witness, not just a spoken witness. We go, and yes, we do share, but we also go and we live. And so here I, I kind of point us back to the Greek. The Greek word that is translated as witness here is martus. Does that sound familiar to any word that we use in our English language? Martyr? The root of that word martyr. In our English language, a martyr, as I'm sure some of us, maybe many of us may be familiar with, is uh, defined in the dictionary as someone who gives their life for a cause in which they are passionate about. Uh, most often we have, we have attributed and associated this with some sort of deeply held religious belief. And it is most commonly associated with someone dying for a cause. But this sense of martyrdom is something that we carry with us. And, and in my own understanding, there's less about being willing to die for our faith and more about this nature of how our faith transforms us. Are we willing not to die for our faith, but are we willing to live our faith? Are we willing to live our faith and to have it transform the way in which we interact with the world? To truly live as a witness to Christ means that we have the opportunity to testify, to show, and to share how our lives have been transformed by Christ. A great example 
is the way in which we talk, for me, as I think about it, a great example is the way in which we talk about our offerings to the church. Right? These are meant to be times where we respond out of how we feel God's blessing in our lives. We feel that God has blessed us, right? That is our inherent, that is our inherent nature as Christians. We feel that God is working within us and through us. We feel that God's grace is abounding within us, even in the low points in our lives. And therefore, we offer back to God just a portion of what we have received in our lives so that the community of God can offer ministry. We do it without any notion of God actually blessing us in the future. And we do it because we recognize in this sense of witness that we have been transformed. And so here, in the same way, we go out into the world to serve and give in God's nature. We go around and we testify to the love of Christ that resides within each and every one of us by serving and giving in Christ's name. Sometimes without others even knowing it is because of Christ that we offer this, manner, this love to the world. And always, always, and I cannot stress this enough, always without any understanding of receiving anything in return. We do this work. We carry this witness because it is part of our embedded theology of Christ that we carry with us at all points in our lives. It is a part of this nature in which in the absence of the physical Christ, again, in the absence of the physical embodiment of Jesus Christ, we become the hands and feet of Christ in this world. This understanding, this, this uh, terminology that we gain from Paul, the body of Christ, one of the tried and true natures, one of, the, one of the best metaphors we have for the nature of the church that we hold on to this day, in which the disciples are being called to right here in this passage in front of us. And it is this calling to stop looking at the clouds, to stop waiting around for Jesus to return, to stop trying to just get to the finish line that helps us to recognize that we are truly called to be the hands and feet of Christ for this world. It refocuses our minds and our spirits upon the work Jesus calls us to do. I love this prayer from Teresa of Avila. It says, God of love, help us to remember that Christ has no body on earth but ours, no hands but ours, no feet but ours. Ours are the eyes to see the needs of the world. Ours are the hands with which to bless everyone now. Ours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Christ is calling us to stop looking at the clouds, to get out of our buildings, to go out to do the work that he started. We are called to continue his ministry. And we do this as a witness, an extension of the body of Christ himself. We are Christ's hands and feet. We are focused, if we are focused on looking for Christ to return, we will miss the real suffering, the struggles of people who are right here on earth, who need help right now, who need the love of Christ to heal the pains, spiritual, emotional, even physical. If we are looking up, we will miss the cries of the poor who are struggling to make ends meet in a society that values the rich. If we are looking up, we will miss the suffering of those who are in systems of oppression and injustice. If we are looking up, we may not even understand the privilege that we have. 
and lash out as if we think we are superior. To be the hands and feet of Christ is about looking towards the world we are called to help. Knowing that we are justified in our salvation and therefore we are unworried or unbothered at trying to achieve it. If we ever hope to do the kingdom building work to which we have been called, if we are truly seeking to live as if we are filled by the Spirit, we must truly point our eyes to the needs here and those places that Jesus went and served there in our own lives. Amen.